Hi everyone, it's Kino here. Thanks so much for joining me on Seek Up, the yoga inspiration show. I am so grateful for you and grateful to you for tuning in and sharing this journey with me. I am overwhelmed with how many people come up to me and say that they're really enjoying this type of communication, teaching, and sharing. So thank you so much for being a part of this journey of yoga, this journey of spirituality, this journey of mindfulness, this journey of seeking wisdom. More than anything else, this is meant to support the seeker's journey, meant to support you on the path. If you find this series of teaching really beneficial, the way that you can support this series is to become a member of the Om Stars yoga community and practice. We have decided to make this series free and available to everyone so that no matter where you are in the world, you can get the teachings that will hopefully provide sustenance for the seeker's journey. And for those of you that can become a member and give your support, please know that I appreciate it. And I'll see you on the mat real soon. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us for Seek Up. We are on the path of inspiration. I'm here with Rob Mack. Thanks yes. for joining, Rob. Thanks for having me. I love being here. Yeah. So let's just dive into some of the things that are going on in real life. I'm teaching a course right now and finding that actually teaching, especially the intensive yoga, is a, it brings up a lot. You know, you have to show up and give a lot and you give a lot to your clients and also to the world. So like spiritual burnout, is that like a thing? You mean it's not all about taking? Just take. <laughs> just a spiritual teacher that just takes everything. <laughs> Send me the money, go home. Yeah. And the donuts. Oh, oh my God. Oh yeah, there you go. Food. I'm always down for some food. You know, I would say uh, for sure, like in my practice too, you know, as a happiness coach and a positive psychology expert, um, compassion fatigue is real, mm -hmm. you know? And I'd say most of the therapists and coaches I know um, were burnt out like a year, a year and a half ago, you know, with COVID mm. and all that. They were just exhausted. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's uh, definitely a thing. I went through a phase for sure where I was like, I want to see no clients ever. I don't want to talk to people again, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So could we, let's unpack compassion fatigue. Like yeah. what, how would you define compassion fatigue? Yeah. It's burnout for helping professionals, mm -hmm. you know? So folks that have to consistently hold space for other people and um, particularly people who are going through tough times, mm -hmm. sharing their problems, uh, maybe sharing trauma uh, to be able to consistently hold space in a way that's non-judgmental and unconditionally call it loving, but we call it unconditional regard uh, professionally, um, that can take a toll on you. Mm -hmm. I think you do that consistently, right? Yeah, I think that it's one of the things that perhaps a true yoga teacher really does is hold space for people to be willing to share very personal experiences. And, you know, when we come into the yoga space and the meditation space, that, that spiritual path kind of what comes up. So we just take yoga. People come up with, with body things, mm. you know, and, mm. and, and in such a way. So there's a great vulnerability around what people are sharing. Like, you know, I have this pain in my hip that I haven't told anyone about, or gosh, I feel fear that maybe I've damaged my knee or, you know, this, this stuff is coming up for me. I feel overheated or I didn't sleep well last night. So they're coming with kind of all of these very real, quite pressing and sometimes very urgent physical maladies that kind of show up. And then, and then they're coming to you kind of in this space of, you know, coach, psychologist, physician, guru. And you're like, okay, so 
do you, so that means you don't want to do headstand or should we, <laughs> let's skip yeah. it today, you know? And so, but it is the space of holding the space of, I'm here for you. Mm. I'm going to give of myself to you in this moment. And then, you know, one student, another student, another student, another student. And the way that, that yoga is traditionally taught, and this is something that not many people experience kind of in the Western way, we do group fitness classes. Mm. You know, like a group fitness class, you go in, everybody does the same thing, whether yeah. it's aerobics or Zumba or yoga, everybody yeah. is the same thing. Breathe like this, do like that. And there's a great benefit in those types of classes. But the traditional way of teaching, like what I was doing this morning, is there are, you know, 40 students mm. and then they're all doing their own practice. Oh, wow. And then you go and you show up for each one of them at the place where they most need it. So you're going to insert yourself at the point wow. where they're going to come with well, I have a lot of fear. This is bringing up old trauma and this. And so all of, like, you insert yourself at exactly the problem moment, the challenge moment, to be the bridge for them to discover themselves in the practice space. And it's very hard to kind of communicate, like, it's actually taking a lot to show up. Not the physical work. There's a physical work. But it's actually that space of, I'm going to hold space for you to go through this really deep, challenging moment. And then I need to switch and do it for the next person. Oh, my God. This sounds exhausting. <laughs> you know, that sounds exhausting. I'm not going to complain about what I do ever again. I can't imagine having, like, a room full or a Zoom full of people who are each individually having like, their own conversations with themselves or whatever. And then having to insert myself at just the right time? Are you kidding? No. Like, however much you get paid is not enough. There's no amount of money they could possibly compensate you for doing that. It feels exhaust. Is it exhausting? Well, it's interesting because it's it's really inspiring on yeah. one level. So it's like, wow, there's an energy yeah. in the room of say, imagine forty people engaged in deep, powerful introspection. Mm. Yeah. And then it's a, it's it's. I tried one of the things that I try to communicate is that this is a silent, sacred space. Mm. So you go in, don't talk. Uh, and I mean, as a teacher, and if I'm talking, I try to talk in a whisper, yeah. so that my talking doesn't disturb. Mm. The other students mm. and then everybody's it's so there's this palpable kind of like cone of spiritual practice so oh. that's like thick the atmosphere in the room and that's exciting to be in you so know i love this so the first thing i can't implement i can't have like all my different people have their own conversations and do their own thing the chaos but the second part i could <laughs> where we just come to the zoom or you come to session and you just sit there quietly uh-huh. and don't say ish don't say anything just yeah sit, we just call it meditation but yeah. like I do love that piece. Uh-huh. So, okay, I have a question then. Do they, most of the folks expect you to fix? Like, you know, there's a, mm. a sort of assumption that first of all, you have to know everything. And know what's wrong. And know what's wrong. And, and why. Then f- and why. Yeah. And then fix it. Yeah. Really? There is this kind of thing of, it, it's quite, it's actually every yoga teacher, no matter if you teach this style or you teach something else, you will have this moment where someone comes up and says, I have a pain in my back. Mm. Do you know why it's there and how I can make it go away? And what do you say? Well, then You're like, my, actually, I do. <laughs> I mean, well, my next question is, where do you feel it? And have you had this pain for your whole life or did it just appear right now? You know, so it's, it's, you have to ask more questions. Mm. And usually in the asking of questions, then they're led to some kind of an answer. So a very common one is, no, I never felt this before, but yesterday when I did this new movement, then I felt it and I felt it when I do this. And today I feel it when I do this, 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 oh. and this. And then it's just experience. Oh. So if the, if, you know, and you can, as a yoga teacher, unless you are a trained medical doctor, provide a diagnosis, but there are a lot of really easy technical kind of instructions 
questions that you can um, share with someone that can help them find the way to work out of their pain. And then, but more than anything, it's also just holding space for, mm. it's okay that this was the experience and there is going to be a way out and we'll find it together. Mm. So it's that kind of like, let me show up for you in a way that is encouraging, but gives you space to work with. And then your point about the exhaustion of it is like in the moment, it's like the entire time passes and it's for example the class is two hours and then from the beginning to the end then i just i don't even know that time went oh, by just blows by it's com- I'm like, oh. like a flow state totally yeah. and and it's just, it's on one level it's, in the best scenario it's a flow state yeah. in the worst scenario it's like putting out fires yeah, 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 you're like yeah. oh my god that one has back pain oh, no. and this one is throwing themselves against the wall i have to go over there right now oh. and then oh my god why is that one lying on the floor oh, oh my god are you okay and then and so it's, sometimes it can yeah. be a little bit like oh my goodness and then you build the relationship with the student and then you're like okay that one lies on the floor <laughs> they're all right. Yeah, right now's the point where he throws himself against the wall right, it's no right, problem right. okay there and then now there's a dog uh great uh i like dogs uh hi uh, okay and then so then you get used to it you know um but there is there is a point where i feel after that i cannot talk to anyone mm. i just have this point where like my brain turns into mush and i feel like I can take no more decisions oh that resonates you know that resonates yeah i'm just like so what do you do then? Well, then I like sit there for a little yeah. bit. Still, yeah. <laughs> and then I really hope the students don't talk to me at that moment. Oh, yeah. Because I'm like, okay, the class is over. Yeah. I'll do my own practice, you know? That helps. But um, but then like today, for example, it was a really intense day. I did my practice and then, you know, I um, walked out and then immediately somehow then there were then there were more people asking me for more things. And at some moment I was just <laughs> like, I'm really not going to be able to... Like, I really, I can't, I can't, I'm not, I, I think I said to someone, I'm not sure what you want from me right now, yeah. but I think I'm not going to be able. I don't have it. No, and like, <laughs> I, just want, I just want a selfie. Yeah. Selfie I can do. <laughs> no questions, no anything. No selfie, words. I'm a wax statue. I move on. Yeah. Absolutely. I can do that. You know? It's good for me to know. So if I yeah. see you in a catatonic, like catatonic t- yeah. state, just don't leave her alone. <laughs> She's okay, but she needs you not to talk to her. Some things are what I yeah. call stare at the wall. Yeah. You know, and yeah. it's interesting, like be in your own space. Yeah. Like stare at the wall, be in your own space. So maybe you experience this too when you work with a lot of clients that you're almost like holding that space of compassionate non-judgment where you're giving them the space to go through their own Mm. stuff. Do you ever feel like there's a residue on you? I used to feel that a lot. Mm-hmm. I used to feel that all the time. In fact, that's pretty much all I ever felt. <laughs> I was just 30. Like, I feel like I have to take another shower, another shower, another shower. So toxic. Um, you know, and then I started um, approaching my practice a little bit differently. So when I would connect with people or clients, I would, sp- I would try not to give, you know, it sounds odd at first, but I would try not to give them all of my attention. I would keep part of my attention inside myself, mm. like rooted or grounded or centered in whatever that thoughtless wordless place or spaces that is perfect peace, called God or spirit. The more I did that, the less I felt the residue. Mm -hmm. And um, so that helped a lot. And then the other part that helped a lot um, was to your point, at the end of the day, I mean, I just ran out of thoughts and words. I mean, it sounds like you just run out of thoughts and words. I can just totally run out of thoughts and words. I don't want to hear anything. Don't, I don't want to hear anybody talk. Anything else is fine. Dogs can bark, I'm fine, but no talking, (laughs) right? So um, then I realized just to like honor that. And I just tell people straight up, I'm like, I love to connect and I'm out of thoughts and words. I'm probably not going to be the best company right now. I just need to be like in complete silence and stillness. And it's so blissful when you are. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's... uh, 
It's an interesting mm -hmm. experience. It's something I wouldn't have guessed going into the work. I love yeah. talking to people. It'd be great. Yeah. Right? <laughs> it is. So do you find then, what do you do? So you go catatonic. Yeah. You stare at the wall. <laughs> stare at the okay. wall. Or go for a walk. Go for a walk. A walk is really nice. And mm -hmm. they live on the beach. So then, you know, go for a walk on the beach or see some kind of nature. Yeah. Um, and then that, that, that's really, really helpful. Uh, the other things, like doing something that is totally different. Mm where I'm not in the role of yoga teacher or spiritual teacher or decision maker mm. is very, very helpful. So walk on the beach, um, sometimes like strangely going out and like talking to my plants. Yeah. Oh yeah. Can be very, yeah. very helpful. Yeah. You know, and then checking on them. Oh uh, look, the papayas are growing. Yeah. Let me see how the papayas are doing <laughs> and then look at the mango tree yeah. and interact with the plants somehow. So you're not getting drunk and getting high. <laughs> I just want to see that you know, just be drunk and high after they're done with the yoga session. All right. <laughs> That'd be hilarious. Yeah, yeah exactly. No, no, no. no so I mean, and that, no. That's so, yeah. that's so, it's so, there's such an, there's an innocence and purity about that. I love that. So mm -hmm. you, you feel or find that restorative. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Like being outside, yeah. just like even going for a walk around the block, mm. you know, a moment in nature, like touching a plant. Yes. And in some ways touching the earth, whether it's with the bare feet on the sand or putting my hands in the ocean water mm, yeah. or going out and just like, you know, like putting a papaya seedling mm. into the ground or checking on a plant or something oh. like that it can be very, very, for me, very, it's a great way, to, for me, it's a really, really great way to unplug. I, um, you know, uh, sometimes it's like strange, weird satisfactions of uh, cleaning out the closet. <laughs> And feel like, wow, yeah. this was something yeah. that I did, yeah. you yeah. know? It's cathartic. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. But what about you? Um, I'd say yes to all those things. I don't, um, I haven't gone around touching plants as much. I just want to try that, though. That's, <laughs> that, that sounds good. I mean, you know, it sounds good. Um, all of the things you mentioned, uh, being outside in nature, in silence or stillness, like as far as thought, as far as just thoughts, like words. Um, the other thing I've discovered, reading is actually fine for me. I'm okay with reading or seeing words, just hearing them sometimes. Mm -hmm. uh, so that works. You remind me of a question I wanted to ask you, which is, have, what have you discovered in the experience of holding space that's helped you either hold space more consistently, effectively, or with like less residue and stickiness? Mm. What is that? What do you mm -hmm. do for that? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think that, so when I first started teaching, this is going to sound really strange, but um, I would do my practice and then I would teach and then I and I would go and take a shower. And when I would take a shower, all the images oh. of all the moments that I'd been in those key places, oh. they would like wash off of me. And I would see them as actual images just like washing off wow. of me. And I would yeah. feel imbalanced until I took a shower. Yeah. It's really interesting. So really? that idea of like the shower. Yeah. Now I feel that I'm more connected kind of with spirit yeah. so that I, I make a conscious intention um, to set the energy of the room mm. and I make a conscious intention to kind of work with spirit while yeah. I'm there so that it's not just me that's holding the space, that I really turn it over to a higher authority and understand that these are beings that are on a spiritual path that have angels and guides that are working for their interests and that if it can be possible to connect with their higher self and their spiritual beings, that there are things that can happen that far exceed what 
I'm able to show up and do on an individual level. So on that kind of grand sort of spiritual scale, yes. I, I, I feel that the space is bigger yes. and has more capacity and takes less of me. So That's in other so words, good. sort of like God can show up instead of me. So and good. Then, like, you know, so first of all, I'm a big fan of transfer of responsibility <laughs> everywhere <laughs> in my life. Anybody wants to take things over and do work for me, I'm, I'm down, especially God. Like, for sure. And I will say it's funny because when I was going through experience where I was feeling burnout early in my uh, practice, my sister had a dream. And she's in a dream that God basically said to her, hey, tell your brother that when he walks out of the room, I walk in. Mm. Super helpful. And then over time, the more I was meditating stuff, the more I'd get these other like insights and downloads that were very similar to yours, which was like, um, when, to, uh, you know, when you walk in the room, I'm already there. Then it was like, you never walk in the room. I'm always and only there. It's just mm-hmm. me. And then I remember thinking, feeling like, oh, wow, that's incredible. It's like, it's very like of my own self. I can do nothing. Very like scriptural. And I remember coming to a place like where I finally realized, oh, wait, I've been wrong all along. It's not my job to fix or heal or problem solve at all. It's to let whatever is meant to come through in this experience come through and to do what I can to be a transparency and transfer all that, surrender all that, both the fear and the desire and the need to fix or save or any of that to whatever it is that created the world and continues to maintain and sustain it, yeah. right? And it's such yeah. a, so much relief in that. Yeah. Like, I love you saying that. Um, do you find that as a result of that, the results are better too with other people? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. You know, and I think as uh, as any sort of spiritual teacher, something to kind of watch out for is that transference of authority. Mm. You know, oh, of authority, yes. Yeah, where people start to give their own agency to you, and if you really mm. are consistent in recognizing that it was never me then you can never be the receiver of that, you know? So that pedestal that people can somehow build up is like, wait a minute, that was never me. Mm. That was, you know, that was either you discovering something about yourself that I was present for, Mm. or that that was God coming through in that moment and had nothing to do with me. So in a way, it's like a protection, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, And and kind of on another level, I definitely feel that the the energy of the, the, the kind of atmosphere of spaces that I'm in has definitely changed. And I've, I noticed that, and it's it's like happier, and it's kinder, and there's more joy, and there's more peace, and there's less grasping, and that feels really good to see in the community because I feel like I see that reflected back in me, you know. Yeah, I mean that that being said, that I think that. You know, yoga and meditation are something very, very like very interesting, and I, I mean maybe you have this also in that. Uh, in our practice, we constantly need a teacher, mm. you know? Mm. And so sometimes, like, I almost feel like compassion fatigue and spiritual burnout sometimes are two different things. Mm. Because like, when I, it's like compassion fatigue, sometimes I, off, I also feel sometimes compassion fatigue thinking about all of the inequities and the injustices <sighs> in the world. Sometimes I feel like, wow, like this is, if I really, really let that in, yes. it's literally the weight of the world. And I, I, I don't know if I, I, it's, it's, there's so, and I don't know if people approach you with this, but sometimes people approach me with, here's this that's wrong. Please do something about it. Here's mm. this that's wrong. Please do something about it. Here's this that's wrong. Please do something about it. And at some point I feel like I would love to fix all of this. Yes. 
And I would love to talk about all of this, but first of all, I don't know if I'm educated enough on one level. Second of all, now I feel completely overwhelmed <laughs> and I really don't know what is actionable that I can do. And so then there's that. And then there's that space of having the fatigue of not being able to be that compassionate space mm. for others. And then there's the question of spiritual burnout, mm. which is, do I still have light on my path? Oh. You know, like, have I lost my, my own way? Mm. And, and when I, and I have felt that in times where I feel like, eh, is this really working? You know, <laughs> sitting there for like an hour. Every day. Eh, mm -hmm. You know, and then I'm just putting my leg behind my head <laughs> again. Like, why does it need to go there? Yeah. This is perfectly, <laughs> you know what there? I mean? Yeah, it was fine before. <laughs> exactly. Like, now I'm like harassing the leg to do strange things. Is that yeah, really yeah. benefit? How is that benefiting my spiritual awakening? Mm. You know, seems to be just creating soreness at the hip region. Um, and then, and then, like, for me, that when I get those thoughts, it's time for me to go do another meditation yes. retreat. It's time for me to go back to my yoga teacher and, like, tap in again. So do you have, mm, like, you yourself, do you have a place to tap in? Yeah, I mean, uh, it's a great question. Um, so first I'll say, you're right about the compassion fatigue piece. And um, I think spiritual burnout maybe expresses it more. Um, in my case, some of the experiences I've had. That, be that being said, like, you're right. Like, I think the difference with me is that most people, since they know that I'm a happiness coach, <laughs> right? They, they, there's a, it's both a positive and a negative thing, I suppose, but they mostly come knowing um, my job is to not let them talk too much or beat the drum too much of the things that suck that they can't control or change um, before I force them to make a hard pivot back into the better feeling story. Like, mm -hmm. you know, it's like, um, so because I feel like that's my job, it's a little different, right? So people don't come to me and say, Rob, like they will say, how could you be happy when the world is, you know, and there's so much poverty and there's mm -hmm. so much uh, misogyny and there's so much, gen and there's genocide and there's all these things. It's like, yes, 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 and yes. And if we truly care about those things, let's take action on those things. Let's not just talk about them in therapy session, right? Or whatever, coaching session. Mm -hmm. um, although I want to hear about it um, to some extent, but let's do something about it. So um, I've been saved in that respect. I think the difference and the challenge I used to experience probably more consistently, which could be its own kind of fatigue, was like, you know, in the beginning, we talked about this before, like people expecting me to be happy, like happy, like jumping up and down happy right. kind of thing, right? And, like, and that was, I was like, I'm just, sometimes happiness is just a feeling of peaceful aliveness. Um, so yeah, that's been, um, I forget your question now, totally lost track. No, if you have I mean, a place to tap in. Yeah, so um, for me, I'd say my most blissful moments are the moments when I just stop thinking. Mm -hmm. I just, there's such bliss in that. I don't know if you, did you ever read uh, Jill Bolt's um, book, Stroke of Insight? No. Oh, it's so fascinating. She was a neuroscient, neurosurgeon, I think, neuroscientist. Oh, I, I listened to a TED talk that she did. Okay, phenomenal, right? Yeah. Like she basically studied strokes and then she had a stroke. Yes, and, and then, she was watching yes. it happen from the neurobiological perspective. Right, and one of the takeaways from that was like, it's perfect, like, yes, sad, of course, sad to have a stroke. On the other hand, she said, it was one of the most blissful moments of my life. No discursive thought, no over-analytical thinking, no obsessive-compulsive thinking, no fear, no desire, just like full presence, like tapped in. So for me, my happiest moments, my most joyful moments are the moments when I'm just not thinking. Like that, I don't think there's any experience I've had with anyone that could compete with that, mm -hmm. right? Um, now, there are moments that equate to that because I'm with someone and there's just, they're so deeply present, like with you, so deeply present. I'm like, okay, mm -hmm. I feel like I'm resting in that space or place mm -hmm. all the time. But I would say that, yeah, that's generally it. Um, yeah. Do you still, do you have teachers that you 
tap into in that yeah, way? Yeah, I mean, I still have a yoga teacher, yeah. and I think that's super important because, you know, I love I love the experience of being in a yoga space where I'm not the authority. Oh, yeah. I relax. love that. I'm like, wow, this is awesome. <laughs> so cool. And in the, I go to meditation retreats where I'm not leading the retreat, mm. so I still go and tap ah. in in that way. And so that constant sort of path of the student's journey, yeah. the seeker's path, yeah. for me, it's, it's just I love the feeling of being a student. And then there's also the humility of I'm still going through stuff. Like I still have places where an outside eye can help me evolve and grow and shine light so that I can continue to get inspired, you know? And I think it's also just that classic phenomenon of the observer mm -hmm. where we perform differently when someone's watching us. Truth. So, you know, in terms of like a spiritual practice, I'm going to do my practice differently when someone's watching me. Oh, yeah. And especially if it's someone that I think of as an authority, then I'm going to, I'm going to behave differently. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. if I'm in a room full of meditators and there are two people that are leading the meditation yeah. and I think of them as an authority, there's an atmosphere, there's something I'm going to tap into. It's oh. going to be probably different than if I'm doing it, even though I'm quite disciplined on my own. Oh. So there's something about that, 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 that changes it. So you know? part of the path then is part of the path then seeing through that or working through that or navigating yeah so that you don't have this like yeah. bifurcation happening yeah where it's like okay somebody's observing so now i'm this person somebody's not observing and i'm not this yeah. Person. Uh, yeah i think it's this feeling of just uh you observe now um, now there's a different depth uh, mm. and the, the sort of especially the silent meditation retreats mm. are so interesting to watch the mind it's like a study in kind of you know, it's almost like a self-study in in brain science. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and a sort of like a self a self psych psychological evaluation because you go in and you're like, yes, I've signed up for this, right? <laughs> yes. Wonderful. And the first day is just like, why did I sign up for this? <laughs> like, what is wrong with me? I, I could, paid for this. Yeah. Or the, the the retreats that I do are actually donation based. Okay. So you yeah. pay you sort of give a donation when you're done. Uh -huh. You never pay for yourself. You always give a donation oh. so that someone else may benefit. So it's that. true Donna or true, you know, giving. And then you go there and you're like, why did I do this? I could have been in the Bahamas. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know totally. I mean? like, this is a not a vacation, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know? And then like the second day, like usually it takes me out of a 10-day retreat, you know, like three days of suffering. And then, and then the second day is like, I don't like the food. This is a terrible location. The bed is really uncomfortable. I'm cold. I'm hot. I don't like it. I want to go home. But they, you know, it's like they trap you. By you <laughs> trying to, the doors. You know what I mean? Like you hand over your like identification. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't transportation. Go yeah. 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 So, and then like, but the interesting thing is nothing changes. It's the same program. It's the same scenario. And you go through all of the stuff. And then, and it's interesting what comes up is slightly different each time. Mm. And then it's also um, interesting to see how, so there, there is this reactivity that happens, this kind of like attachment to life that you go through and you let go of, like all these things that we don't think we're attached mm. to, like, you know, my clothes, my car, my food, my way of being that we, that, you know, we just take for granted and suddenly we have to let go of it all. And there are reactions to that. And so there, so there's sat a lot of these courses. And then at the beginning, the reaction was very strong and I was identified with the reaction. <laughs> yeah. And so now the reaction is still there, but I just watch the reaction. Mm. Like, oh, look, here it comes. Oh, look, here's this, mm. this wave. And then around the fourth day, it's so interesting just to wake up and kind of exist in this state of sort of thoughtless wordlessness, which so many of us identify, and so many people, myself as well, identify as happiness. Totally. That's you know? I feel so happy. Why do you yes. feel happy? I'm finally not talking <laughs> yeah. inside my head. Yeah. I'm not actively <laughs> creating unhappiness. Exactly. Amazing when that happens. My house doesn't burn down if I don't light it. Yeah. You know, like, light totally. it on fire. Yeah. That's fascinating to me. Have you ever 
so sometimes, and I think this is true with most of my spiritual friends, they, um, or the folks that are aware that they're on a spiritual journey, um, like, man, I would just love to like get off the radar for like ever. Maybe I'll just go to an ashram forever. I'm like, have you, have you done it for 40 days? Have you done it for two days? <laughs> like it's, I mean, yeah. have you ever thought that you might just one day disappear, go off the radar, mm. go off the map and just disappear into an ashram? Or? I've definitely thought about a long and extended stay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there's always something in me that I think comes back to wanting to share. And there's some kind of impetus of, you know, there's this tool, there's this something, there's this feeling of wanting to give mm-hmm. and wanting to share, which is that, you know, this is what is traditionally called, you know, the, the sort of the heart of compassion, the spiritual awakening is that it's never meant for us alone. Mm-hmm. And of course, this is because I'm on the householder path. I haven't taken vows of renunciation. Yeah. You know, I'm not on the path of becoming a nun or a swami and, yeah. and, and letting go of all worldly attachments. So they say that the path of the householder mm-hmm. in the, the spiritual tools are to give back. Yeah. So whatever awakening you have, you give back. And even the path of the renunciate, they say that this is the essential term, the bodhisattva, right? I'm yes. like, but I'm not a bodhisattva, right? We're not like fully awakened beings. Mm-hmm. But the idea is that if we were fully awakened, immediately we would look back on all the beings mm-hmm. who are not fully awakened. And with a heart full of deep compassion, we would, you know, extend our hand and say, you know, this is the teaching. Yeah. This is the way. There's yeah. that classic example, you know, of, gosh, of someone trying, like a bunch of people trying to scale a wall, mm-hmm. right? So this is like a, a teaching, a cla- I think this is a classic Buddhist teaching of, of a bunch of people trying to scale a wall. And you try and try and try, and you see that someone, you saw someone scale it before. Uh-huh. So it represents yeah. hope. You know, someone's gone before. Yeah. That's the path. Maybe there's a rope that was yeah. left behind. Stanley Goggins probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> and, there's someone, yeah, yeah. and there's someone up there yeah. standing on the yeah. top of the, the wall saying, you can do it. You can yeah. do it. Come on, just a little more. You can do it. And then you get up there. And then you see what's on the other side. And wow. Mm. You know, this feeling, Wow. And you could just pop over, but then you look behind you and you see the next person struggling and the next person struggling and the next person struggling. And then you reach down and you, you, if it was really such a good experience, you have no choice but to share, Oh yeah, you know? And so that's kind of the heart of the bodhisattva. There are, of course, individuals who've taken the full path of renunciation. So I actually have a friend of mine who I haven't seen in years, and I don't know if I'll ever see him again in this lifetime. The last time I spoke to him, um, he was... Uh, on his, he'd taken vows uh, to uh, become a monk yeah. uh, in the Tibetan tradition, mm-hmm. and he had successfully completed extensive rounds of meditation training with um, various lamas and rinpoches in the Tibetan tradition, mm-hmm. and he had gotten approval to do a three-year retreat in a cave, oh, wow. full path of renunciation. And mm-hmm. he said, if it goes well, I can extend for 20 years. Extend for 20 years. Yeah. Wow. You know? Yeah. yeah. And I thought... Small commitment. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, and it was thinking about how long ago it was. I mean, it's been since I've spoken to him. It's been, you know, I want to say like something like 15 years. Wow. I told him, please, if you ever come out of your meditation yeah. cave, 
please reach out to me. Yeah. Um, if you can figure out how to do that and how to interact <laughs> with the world, please reach out to me. But the idea is that there are some individuals who will go on that deep path of renunciation mm -hmm. and then they will experience deeper and deeper states of meditation and they'll be more and more in tune with that sort of grand cosmic universal oneness mm -hmm. so that they will be in a space that their very presence kind of anchors a vibration mm -hmm. yes. and that they are doing work for the planet without necessarily interacting with that work for the planet. Um, but they've taken that path of renunciation and they're almost like, you know, an anchor for yeah. a very, very high spiritual vibration and just sit there vibrating. Mm. And then it changes the atmosphere. And then we need these anchors of people that oh, are willing totally. to take that path. Like frequency holders. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Totally. That's fascinating, right? I mean, um, so did you know from a very early age that your purpose would be to give back, like that you would be taking this journey to give back, or is that something that's continued to unfold and become crystal clear to you over time? Because I think there was a time in my life when I was like, nah, I kind of want to escape the world, okay? <laughs> like, and I just want to sit in the corner and read spiritual books and like meditate and be left alone. I was an introvert by nature. And it was like, I'm quite comfortable and I love this. And, but over time, to your point, it was like, gosh, I suffered so much and I feel like I suffer so much less, at least at my own hands, than I did at that time. And I'd love to be able to help other people, right? Did you always know you're going to take this path of, you know, like helping and giving back or did you, or how did that unfold for you? Yeah, no. I mean, like, I definitely did not. I never, I, I definitely did not. I think more than anything, if I look back, I can see that there was definitely a quest, a seeking, mm -hmm. sort of a yearning and unanswered question um, that perhaps uh, stayed with me from the time I'm, you know, a little girl, you know, and I think it probably began with, um, you know, my grandfather and how close I was with my grandfather and he passed away uh, before my ninth birthday. And that impacted me in such a great way so that it left a kind of quest and questions about what life means and what does it all mean and, 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 and sort of unanswerable questions mm. for, you know, the being that I was at that age. And I can look back and I can see that that, that that yearning, that sort of questing definitely left an imprint on the sort of trajectory and path that my life took. Mm. And I can see that I entered uh, the spiritual path from in, an entirely selfish perspective, mm. you know, yeah. of I want this for myself. This feels good. I feel like this is for me. And I never under any circumstances thought that I would be a yoga teacher, meditation teacher, spiritual teacher. Mm. I thought, and I had been working in, you know, school and graduate school. And I thought that I was going to, I don't know, at first, um, you know, had one path. And then I thought maybe I would work in some capacity as a journalist or as a writer and, you know, in, in, in any other capacity. But I never thought that I would hold space in terms of spiritual teaching. I never thought that I would be a yoga teacher. I just didn't think I was qualified, you know, in that level of that kind of um, the necessity to really hold that space of spiritual awakening. And then what happened for me is people started asking me, mm. will you teach? Mm. And I said, no. Yeah. You know, will you teach? No. I'm not a yoga teacher. Will you teach? Will you, you? Oh, you did a meditation retreat. Will you teach me meditation? No, yeah. I'm not a meditation yeah. teacher. Oh, do you think uh, you could mentor me in in spirituality? No, I just kept yeah. saying no. Yeah, yeah. It's like no, yeah. I'm not a teacher. And I would like have teachers that would refer them to <laughs> yeah. go read this book, go do that. Like I'm not a teacher. And what? And they're like, well, what are you? I'm a journalist. Oh. Uh, I'm in school. I'm doing something else. And then finally, at some moment, I was like, I. Okay, uh, I'll teach. Yeah. 
And I remember I, when I started, I was really keen on, I refused to take money. Mm. I refused. Well, I was was like, a, yeah. I refused to take money. Well, well we want to I trade you. Yeah. All right, you can trade me. Buy me a chai. You <laughs> chai. Know? Yeah, that'll last the whole week. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I felt like yeah, yeah, yeah. the best trade I ever did, honestly, was with a massage therapist. Oh, that was, that's good. That, that was fantastic. Yeah. I, was, I was pretty happy for that. Yeah. I was like, yeah, this, this, is, this, that works. this sounds nice. Yeah. That could be. Maybe this yoga thing's going to work out. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but, then, but then people started asking me, you know, and not only to teach individually, but to teach classes and to teach seminars. And mm. almost everything that I've done has been kind of like a response to that. When I made my first yoga video, it was because someone said, do you think you could put your teaching on a video so I could review it once you leave? Because I forget everything that you said after. And I was like, oh, I could make a video. Yeah. Sure, let's make a video. Oh, do you think you like write the instructions in a book? Because I don't really, like I, I watch the video, but I don't really hear, like I, I, I just want it written down so I can highlight and interact with the material. Okay, I guess I, I could do that. I could write wow. it down. So it's kind of actually been a, a process of, of people asking. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Um, I think some of my, probably most of my favorite teachers are relu- reluctant teachers. They were, right? they were really, really. And what's fascinating too is that it makes you wonder, um, the universe just had a plan for you. I mean, do you, what do you believe about all of that? Do you think that yeah. there was a plan for you or a divine plan? Or- I think there's a divine plan for each of us. Mm-hmm. I think that absolutely. I think we are spiritual beings having a human experience. Yeah. And I think that, you know, our lives uh, have, in, have been created in collaboration with the sort of grand cosmic intelligence mm. and that we've agreed to come here to learn certain lessons yeah. and that it's only in retrospect that we'll be able to understand right. what those lessons were about. Imagine that. You signed up for all of it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right? like you signed yeah. up for all the stuff that's happening. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I feel like I, f- I feel like we mistake so much about what our life is really about, you know? Mm. Like we think it's about, I want to get the car. I, th- I want to get this. I want to get that. I want to be famous. I want to be liked and loved. Yeah. I want people to like me. I want to have this type of body. I want this much in my bank account. I want to be a powerful person or whatever it is. And then it's like, what did you actually incarnate to learn? What was your life lesson? Mm. What was your life lesson? Yes. You know, in the dying moments of your life, in the mm. last breath that you breathe in, the last breath that you breathe out, what will be the lesson that you learned in this life? Mm. You know? Love that. I feel that. Do you, have you ever struggled with that? I think the idea, I love that. And I think that's a extraordinarily like relatable and a very helpful way to see and approach and, and live your life. And I used to be challenged sometimes because then I felt like I was always being tested. Mm, I was like, oh, yeah. I did, Pat failed again. <laughs> I'm just failing with flying colors. Like, I can't even pass the simplest test. Yeah. Did you have that? Ex- did you ever get No, yeah. No, yeah. I really relate and can connect with like, that yeah. idea of like failure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's, if, you, if we think like, oh my God, I've been sent to learn this lesson yeah. and to achieve this task. And like, I'm failing at it. No yeah. rule book, no guidebook. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And then I think if we can understand that the lesson is, isn't a pass or fail lesson mm. that it's sort of uh, in a way that we don't have learning in the in, in, on planet earth mm. right now. So we have learning as pass or fail, you know, like we pass for first grade or right. you fail and you right. got to do it again. Or right. you like passed your SATs or you failed the SATs yeah. or, you know, and it's like that spiritual learning is nonlinear. Yes. And when we can look back and we can see, Oh, look, even when I thought I failed, I learned. Mm. And even when I thought it didn't work out, it did work out. Oh yes. And so I think if we can tap into like for me, getting over, um, there's kind of an interesting concept. I think it's called in Tibetan loon, mm-hmm. and it could be, um, m- you know, not remembering that, that word correctly, but it's this concept of 
being so intent on learning spiritually oh, and progressing spiritually that you stress yourself out oh, about your spiritual journey. Oh cool, yeah. And then you like sit there and you're just like, oh my God, but I'm not like, I'm not awakened yet oh and gosh, I'm not totally. liberated and I might never get there. And I keep making the same stupid yeah. mistakes over and again. I'm totally non-attached and I'm really emotional. And why don't I learn better? And <laughs> yeah. I'm just going to try to meditate more and I can't even feel the breath anymore. Yes. And you just like, you freak yourself out. Yes. And they say that even some of the most accomplished meditation teachers get into that mm. space. And then the, traditional teaching is to go on vacation. Oh, I love that. That sounds right. <laughs> I think everybody can, can get behind yeah. that. Yeah. So, I mean, I feel like in some ways, uh, if I look at my own life, when I think about the thing that I'm sitting with now, I mean, it is more that is more this question of how can I bring more spiritual intelligence which is really more love into every interaction, you know? And this means, you know, questioning what I'm doing to make sure I'm really engaged in a meaningful way with what I'm doing, why I'm doing it. And then, and to think about that um, in terms of even my interactions with myself, like, is this a, is this a loving interaction I'm having with myself or is this a mindless interaction I'm having with myself, you know? And then also a thought that's come up recently is, you know, what have I done in my life that's truly been giving of myself selflessly? Mm. You know? It's a tough one. Yeah. Have you ever read Anne Rand's The Virtue of Selfishness? Yeah. It's a profound book, right? Because there's an argument there, which is that no act is ever not driven by self-interest. Mm-hmm. That every act ultimately, even sacrificing your own life for someone else, complete stranger, mm-hmm. even donating blood or time or money mm-hmm. is ultimately down deep inside, still a selfish act. And mm-hmm. there's just, and she doesn't go this far, but there's just, there's selfishness and there's enlightened selfishness. But what do you think about that? It's very interesting. It was this, it was this question of, I don't know, I almost had in a, in a, in a recent sitting experience, I almost had like a mini life review where I, it was just sort of all of these images of this interaction and this interaction and then the seed of selfishness, the seed of self-interest in yeah. even what appeared to be from an outside altruistic moments. So I think the question, perhaps this is this notion of enlightened selfishness, is to recognize, well, there is a me, there is an ego until I'm going to be fully liberated and fully realized, then that seed of, of some sort of ego will be there mm. at the same time to do our best not to let the entrapments of our mm, ego yeah. sort of be the intent of the action mm. and then to be aware and to check those as much as possible mm. with the community, with humility, mm. and, and just with, you know, conscious self-awareness, yeah. I think. I think that's where the philosophy of like karma comes in really usefully, mm-hmm. right? Because suddenly, because, you know, on one hand, it's like if everything I do is ultimately selfish and that I want to get to a place of enlightened selfishness, Let's call it that. Why would I want to do that? It's like part of it is so that you know, re- like create or recreate more pain and suffering for yourself, mm-hmm. right? There's that. Um, there, there's another piece here, which um, I keep hearing too, which is like, is it, I've often wondered, is it um, also possible that nothing that's ever happened or could happen, um, like everything that's happened or could happen is ultimately helpful and beneficial and at the same time could be argued to be destructive and detrimental, right? Like I think about the biggest, the, the greatest challenges of my life. At the time, of course, I thought they were the worst thing ever. I look back now, I'm like, maybe it's the best thing ever. And then mm-hmm. tomorrow I'm probably like, maybe it was the worst thing ever. But then there's, there's this, and I think that's maybe it's just um, a question of that we live in this duality, but it's like, 
I'm not sure anything's ever happened to me that hasn't benefited me in some way. Mm-hmm. So then you, so then you say, wow, it can be tough. I think for some, not always, I think maybe there's an intuitive knowing of what's right and wrong, maybe, but there's, um, I think I can see how it would be challenging for people sometimes to know what is right and what isn't right, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It's like a drug addict, you know, it, um, or helping someone. It's like sometimes helping means extending a hand and sometimes it means like holding your, like not extending an open hand. How do you mm-hmm. sort and sift through that? How do you, is yeah, it for you? Is it a feeling? Or? Yeah, I think it's a really deep question and bring up some really deep topics about that and some things that are really worthy of deep self-reflection. Yeah. So I think the first thing, if we can circle back to the difficulties and the struggles. Yes. Right? Yeah. And then, and then to recognize that this is a very deep and high level spiritual awareness. Mm-hmm. Right? So some people take that and think everything is perfect mm. and then don't make space for mm. like actually feeling the struggle when the struggle is there. Mm-hmm. So this is the interesting thing about take that time of difficulty. See that time of difficulty needs to be difficult mm. to till the soil, mm. to plant the seeds of the goodness mm. yet to come. Yeah. So if in the moment of difficulty, we ignore the difficulty and then we bypass it in kind of a spiritual bypass, mm. then we don't till the soil to plant the seeds of the goodness yet to come, right? Yes. So some people hear a kind of teaching around everything that's happened is for my for, for my benefit. And then they use that to bypass sitting with the difficulty mm. and the struggle and avoid tilling the soil. Mm. You know? Totally. So then so then that's the first part of it. Then the second part of it is to understand that we as individuals have some control over how we respond to difficulty. Mm. Right? Yes. So then there is there's there are there were studies a lot of studies on post-traumatic stress disorder, yeah. right? Like PTSD, how PTSD impact, and it's real. It's, it's super traumatic and recreates trauma cycles and it's completely overwhelming. And in certain studies of PTSD that were done more recently, I'm sure you're familiar with, that they also found not only post-traumatic stress disorder, but there's also post-traumatic growth. Yeah, PTG. Right. Yep. And so this is something that th- the same experience you know, had by two individuals, one led to like a lifelong trauma that they continue to struggle with, which could still be beneficial in a grand sense of maybe increasing compassion, self-awareness, leading them to different decisions, that sort of thing, where someone else, they could experience this post-traumatic growth and have that same traumatic experience be the catalyst for them to not only return to a baseline level of sort of happiness, or sort of, you know, functionality in society, but actually to exceed that. Yes. You know? Yes. And there's, there was um, uh, uh, in the book by Malcolm Gladwell, Outliers. Mm. He talks about how these individuals, some of these individuals that we deem as the most highly functioning, successful individuals in society, CEOs of, you know, multi-billion dollar corporations yeah. and these yeah. sorts of things, yeah. almost all had some intersection of trauma at a very early age, Mm. whether it was something, you know, like astigmatism or a reading disorder Mm. or some sort of other stress that, that impacted them, that really, really challenged them and created the perfect kind of perfect storm to allow them to sort of till their soil of struggle to experience this wildly successful garden. Yes. Oh, I love that. Um, what's the two quotes? Um, straight roads don't make skillful drivers. And smooth seas don't make skillful sailors, mm-hmm. right? That's 100% true. I love that. And I love the point you're making around post-traumatic growth. You're right. It's actually exponentially more common for folks to experience post-traumatic growth, even if they experience PTSD after some kind of traumatic or adverse or difficult um, experience, um, even the most traumatic experiences, which is wild. And sometimes, and also I remember seeing the studies that said um, the people that often experience 
post-traumatic growth um, most consistently are the ones you least expect it in a way mm. because they're the ones um, that maybe seem to be the most fragile or least or least resilient going in to the experience, right? So it's really fascinating, and you're right about that. It, so, it, right, it does beg the question, and the other point you made around spiritual bypass, such a profound one. Um, and I think that psychology also does this thing, and we might call it psycho like psychological bypass, but often, I'm trying to think who said it, but I remember reading it in an Osho book, <laughs> but he was referring to a psychologist, but it, the idea was um, sometimes psychology and or therapy pretends to be the cure for which it is actually the disease, right? Because sometimes we think we're sitting with the difficulty, that we're sitting with the uncomfortable feelings, and we're trying our best not to do a spiritual bypass thing. And then we find ourselves in our heads, ruminating, but calling it processing. Mm -hmm. So then we're feeding and fueling mm -hmm. the very pain and suffering that we're attempting to process, but we're not processing it because we're not really feeling it. We're just intellectualizing mm -hmm. and rationalizing away. So it becomes, I can imagine for, you know, I don't know how to do anything else in life, but you and I, we've read a lot of books on this stuff and, write and done a lot of work, just mostly because I like feeling good. I hate pain. That's mm -hmm. mostly the way I did it for selfish reasons like you. And I can't imagine how difficult it's got to be for so many folks, and it was for me, to sort and sift through all of this. It's like, okay, I don't want to do the spiritual bypass thing. At the same time, I don't want to be in rumination. I actually want to process. It's, it's a lot. That's why, to your point, um, it's helpful to have a teacher. Mm -hmm. And um, how do you... Yeah. And spiritual friends and yes. people that share the path with you. Sure. Yeah. So, because it's so it's solitary, that inner work. Yeah. So, to get as much support as possible is so good. Yes, you know? exactly. The, the thing I think that's also interesting that comes up with the, 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 this sort of urge to solve all the problems, mm -hmm. whether it's from a psychological perspective, a spiritual perspective, or even, you know, an, a, a very kind of activist perspective, is this question of, making the world a better place. Oh yeah, I've got, I've got some challenges with that one. Because it's like on some level, yes, of course, we don't want any beings to suffer. Yes, of course, I myself, I don't want to be an instrument of suffering at the same time, consciously or unconsciously, at times I will be an instrument of suffering to others. Yeah, you know? yeah. And, and, and at the same time, there's a question that I sit with sometimes of, is part of the social contracts of being on earth to give each individual just enough suffering mm. and just enough pleasure mm. so that they can be inspired or motivated to wake up. Oh, well, I strongly feel that, yes, especially that last piece I agree with. It's like, um, I love the waking up metaphor, right? Because it's like, you know, you fall asleep because you become unconscious, mm -hmm. right? And in your unconsciousness, you experience all this pain and suffering. We'll call it a nightmare. And sometimes it's not until the nightmare gets bad enough that you that it wakes you up from your unconsciousness so that you're conscious again, mm -hmm. right? And so you think about that and you think that's totally legit. What a beautiful way of describing what life ultimately is. There's also an argument that if that's what's actually happening, you're not this individual egoic or egotistical person rocking around in this body. You're actually the person sleeping comfortably at night in the bud who was safe all along, right? So mm -hmm. if you dream, if you fall asleep at night, you're safe and secure the entire time. But you dream and you go to a place and you imagine that you're this other version of yourself that's running around the earth, right? Trying to seduce people, trying to hook up. You're drinking one night. Now you're scared. You're killing somebody. Somebody's killing you. You go through <laughs> all this stuff. But the truth is you were fine the entire time. You were perfectly fine. You were safe and secure. There was nothing ever at stake. So that's the other way in which I see this mm -hmm. beautiful metaphor you bring, which is like, you know, ultimately, true self is never in danger, you mm -hmm. know? And I like the way Course in Miracles says it, that which can be threatened isn't real, that which is um, 
Well, that which is real can't be threatened. Um, that which can be threatened doesn't exist. Hard, kind of hard teaching, mm-hmm. but it's a great point. You're like, I agree with you. I don't, the world, from my perspective, isn't designed to make you happy. That's for darn sure. It's not designed to make you happy. Same way relationships. It's not designed to make you happy. Like if you still think that that's the thing, <laughs> you know, or if you think that you're put here to save the planet or to save the earth, not that we shouldn't try to save the planet. I'm not saying that, but, but meaning in other words, that, that, that you'll ever get to the end of this problem solving thing here on earth. Mm-hmm. It's like, I don't know if that's a thing. It's like trying to get to the end of the internet. Don't do that. You're not going to get to the internet. No, please don't try. No, you just make your life a living <laughs> hell. Yeah. And you won't, you know, so. There's always one more thing to fix. Always one more thing to solve. Yes. Always one more thing to accomplish, you know. And that's that, you know, idea of understanding, you know, that the world is a stream of goodness. Mm. That there's something there. Mm. And at the same time, there are squeaking things in every room we could mm. deal without. Mm-hmm. So if we continue with that idea of the dreamer, right? Yes. So the dream in order to inspire us to wake up just enough suffering you know to wake us up if the dream is too good kind of like the matrix Mm -hmm. we might take the wrong pill oh yeah you know what i mean yeah you're stuck in the matrix (laughs) you stay in there yeah Yeah. (laughs) it's it's such a it's such a really beautiful point you're right i mean we've all had those dreams i know i have but the dream is so good i want to go back in the dream yeah do this lucid dreamy thing you get back in there i'm like getting back in there that was so good i don't want this this real life thing nah get me back in that dream and then you're like, oh no, I missed my business meeting or whatever, you know. But it's it, it's a it's a it's a great reminder too, and it, you're speaking to it, which is like we talk about solving problems with one hand, but we create them with the other. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember reading somewhere such a great insight, which was like, you know, um, the world is full of people who want to do good, and we love that, but it's hard to know if you're really doing good, right? Who knows? Who knows if all the effort and time and energy and resources you've spent haven't actually made people's lives worse off, mm-hmm. you know? And so, so much of the suffering and pain in the world that exists, exists not at the hands of people who want to do bad. Most people think they're doing good. Yeah. Right? What's that expression, right? The path to hell is yeah, paved yeah, with good that, intentions. Yeah, yeah. And that's why, like, spiritual discernment, we'll call it that, or just discernment, is a real thing, mm-hmm. right? It's like, that's why these, you know, spiritual teachers, the ones that I've always loved and read, they'll say things like... Um, uh, it takes someone almost at Jesus' level to understand a Jesus or someone at Buddha's level almost to understand a Buddha. Like if you're living down the valley and you're staring up to the mountaintop looking at a Jesus or a Buddha or a hugging saint or whomever, you'll think they're just another regular person. You won't recognize that, right? So it's kind of the challenge with like even judging a teacher, mm-hmm. right? They say, oh, look at Kino. She's wearing orange today. It's like a problem or whatever, you know what I mean? But it's like, you, you don't, you don't there's, so, there's, there's a level of discernment that you just can't judge by appearances alone. Mm-hmm. So that makes it difficult, I think, when you're an individual to try and sift and sort through all of that, um, because ultimately everybody's path is so different. We can only really be where we are. Yeah. You know, yeah. I think that maybe for a takeaway for everyone tuning in, yeah. maybe it's useful to think about this whole journey from that paradigm of what has been our struggle, what's mm-hmm. been our challenge, where we tilled the seeds, yeah. you know, for where we are now. And then also to reflect on where maybe we've been an impediment for others mm. when we thought we were doing good. Mm. You know, that's a totally. worthy point of reflection. Yeah. A point of reflection we can leave everyone I love with. that. Very teacher of you. Very, very, very <laughs> coach of you. It's like, yes, I love the summary. I, I also think in summaries. That's awesome. Love that. Mm. Super, Rob. This has been really, really awesome. I feel like I could talk to you forever, but... Uh, literally, literally, I think we could. Yeah. Yeah, we'll keep it going. We'll keep Absolutely. It, yeah, to be continued. 
Hey there, it's Kino here. I just wanted to thank you for tuning in to my podcast. Your support and your time and your attention really mean a lot to me. If you're enjoying this podcast series, you can find the full-length videos on my online channel, OMSTARS. And that's at www.omstars.com. You can redeem a 14-day free trial and get access to our full library of over 3,000 classes and also practice yoga with me online. I'd also love to see you in class sometime. So you can find my full live in-person teaching schedule on my website, which is kinoyoga.com. And if you haven't checked out my books, I'd absolutely be honored if you'd check those out. You can find those available at any online bookseller. The Yoga Inspiration Podcast is designed to keep you inspired to get on the mat. And I hope you're leaving each episode with a little glimmer and spark of the spirit which is the true heart of the yoga method. Thanks so much for tuning in, everyone. May you be happy. May you be peaceful. May you be filled with love. Namaste.